This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits. I'm joined by our in-house economist, Cameron Brandt. And we'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data that EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. Good morning. We are this week and in future weeks going to be joined by our newest colleague, Kirsten Longbottom. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you. So, Cam, I uh, looking through the data in preparation for the the podcast this week. It looks like we have a little bit of a lack of conviction, or maybe some fear in the market. We saw uh, pretty significant, I, I would say, flows into money market funds last week. Um, do, am I in the ballpark of of why we might be seeing some? Some of that? Yes, I think you're on the right track. Any week where over half of the flows into all the funds we track go into the liquidity vehicles is usually a week where there's either lack of conviction or outright fear. Um, Not particularly surprising, um, given what we've discussed in previous podcasts about the multiple narratives um, that are kind of moving the markets in one direction or the other recently. (laughs) You know, and and in some senses, it's coming a little bit to a head. Um, You know, this past couple of weeks, we've seen uh, considerable discussion of whether global growth is slowing, while at the same time, equity markets on both sides of the Atlantic are are constantly challenging record highs. Um, You have a lot of angst and discussion about inflation, while at the same time, the stock of debt with negative interest rate, uh, negative yields, (laughs) is back to where it was. Uh, six months ago and climbing. Um, And you have other contradictions uh, on a more more thematic level. For instance, uh, flows to the uh, ESG funds continue at a relentless pace. Uh, At the same time, the price of thermal coal is at a 10-year high. So there's plenty of uh, different narrative threads, and uh, they're not kind of braiding into nice, clear strands at the moment. So uh, not particularly surprised that, especially with kind of the August holiday slowdown, uh, people took a step back this week. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, Usually we see uh, sustained flows, especially with money market funds. Do you think that this is, this significant flow is, is, the peak, or, or could we experience a, a continued inflows into that fund group over the next couple months of uncertainty? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to go out, out on the limb and say that uh, if I have to guess, uh, well, I should sort of put in a more authoritative tones, but yes, my, my expectation is that uh, this sort of more cautious approach is going to last uh, for a while. And frankly, you know, one of the surprises this year, especially in light of the narrative that we were going to see pent up 
consumption uh, really take off and money move off the sidelines has been how relatively slow the drawdown, uh, especially in U.S. money market funds, has been uh, off the peaks we saw uh, after the uh, pandemic panic uh, at the end of the first quarter of last year. Um, and, uh, you know, Europe money market funds, frankly, are still taking in money more more weeks than not. So, uh, you know, definitely the mood and the lack of a sort of a single clear or, or a couple of clear themes is, I think, creating an environment where money market funds look pretty attractive to us. And last week, uh, we spoke about um, China and the narrative behind that. What did we see there this week? Yes, well, China was, was still definitely uh, an element. Um, what we saw was a, a different tack. Uh, last week, the, the sell-off was sort of treated as an entry point, as an opportunity, and we saw pretty significant institutional flows into the uh, China equity funds that we track. Uh, this week, um, as yet another sort of subsector uh, looked like it might be in the Chinese regulators' crosshairs. Um, the gaming, online gaming um, investors were uh, sort of a little more jaded about it, a little more inclined to step back. Uh, what I thought was significant was not so much that there were outflows, but that uh, retail outflows. Uh, came in at a one-year high. Uh, China's domestic market is notoriously driven by retail investors and uh, and has a history of, um, therefore, higher than uh, his usual volatility. Um, and if they start to, you know, if this is the start of a, an aggressive move uh, out of Chinese equity markets because they think that the regulatory issues are far from solved, that could um, sort of uh, kick off a period of sort of sustained outflows from China equity funds. Uh, I will say that the authorities there, you know, have been been here before uh, and have a number of tools that they tend to deploy pretty quickly to sort of prevent sell-offs really getting out of control. Um, but it does look like uh, that sort of <clears throat> corner of the investment universe is, is setting setting up for a slightly bumpier period uh, over the next couple of months. Okay. And uh, do you think that there are any markets or countries that are losing out with China now that China is getting all of the attention? Well, I think actually the, the opposite may be happening, which is that um, – Certainly, some investors are, are looking for alternatives, and you're reassessing their level of exposure to China and thinking, you know, we should uh, put some of the money uh, to work elsewhere. Um, it seems to be a bit of a difference of opinions between fund managers and uh, the people who commit money to the funds, which is not uncommon. Uh, fund managers have been. Um, Increasing their exposure to to other Asian markets. Um, so, um, you know, over the past eighteen months, the the you know the average allocation to China is up about two and a half percent. Interestingly, the average allocation to Taiwan is up two and three quarter percent, um, and sort of nipping at the heels uh, both India and. Uh, 
Korea's allocations have climbed about 2% in the average gem fund portfolio. Um, investors are obviously also sort of looking to see where else they might put their money. Uh, and they're giving um, Latin America more of a shot, uh, especially Mexico. Uh, but uh, to a lesser extent, Brazil as well. Uh, those fund groups have seen more inflows uh, in recent months than you would expect, given the broad narrative. You know, Brazil's case, you have rising interest rates, uh, a COVID pandemic that is far from under control, uh, <clears throat> even more than usual political dysfunction. But um, investors are still willing to put money in there. Uh, and Me Mexico uh, has a number of things going for it at the moment. Uh, higher higher prices for its primary uh, commodity export, which is oil, uh, and a general belief that these sort of improved relationships with the U.S. Uh, increase the chances that supply chains will be relocated out of Asia to its maquilador zone. And uh, more immediately with uh, the uh, immigrant population in the U.S. Uh, under less stress uh, and more welcome uh, remittance flows from those people living in the U.S. back to Mexico uh, <clears throat> are, are more stable and on the rise. And last week, uh, we talked about sector funds, and that was an area where there was more conviction. Share any thoughts on on that? Um, yeah, no, I think you're right that you've identified the area of our coverage where there was some real conviction uh, in the past week. Uh, nine of the 11 major groups that we track uh, recorded inflows, and most of them were, you know, fair to good, not just creeping uh, over the line. Um you know, and interestingly, the the one group that had large outflows, financial sectors, in some ways, um, you could argue it was a bit of an own goal. They have, uh, you know, I think prudently, uh, especially during the current uh, corporate earnings cycle, been you know pretty blunt that the conditions that allowed them to post such handsome numbers are not likely to be duplicated going forward. Uh, and as is classic <laughs> with financial markets, they, they're being punished for their honesty. Um, but elsewhere, um, you, you know, we're seeing significant interest. I, I think it still is driven by hopes for the U.S. consumer, uh, consumer sector funds for the second straight week uh, uh, pulled in over uh, at or around a billion dollars in inflows and technology, which um, has at the moment a strong consumer component because of the shift to you know online entertainment, shopping, working, um, is also starting to see uh, money again. Uh, and infrastructure funds have been uh, very consistent attractors of fresh cash for some time now. And with those um, infrastructure funds, do you think that this is having any effect because of the infrastructure bill that's going to the Senate in the U.S.? Are there other sectors that it's also also affecting? Um, so the answer to both questions is yes. Um, I'll start with the more immediate one. Uh, certainly, the expectation that uh, that uh, the U.S. was finally going to find uh, at least a, 
a bipartisan knuckle, if not a full arm bone, and and pull something off in the uh, infrastructure space has been driving fresh money into F- infrastructure funds for some time. Um, I will say that uh, that's not the only driver. You know, we, we're obviously sitting in the U.S., so it, it seems like the dominant one, but. Uh, Japan is busy sort of signaling that it's going to come up with another $180, $200 billion worth of stimulus. Uh, infrastructure is China's preferred way of sort of plugging dips in this sort of economic trajectory. Uh, Europe's rescue fund, um, you know, 700 to $800 billion dollars all told uh, is about to start flowing and will sort of flow in increasing months through next year. And a fair amount of that is earmarked for infrastructure. Um, And the private sector, because of the increased demand for tech services, which require uh, cell towers, uh, fiber optic cables, et cetera, is sort of doing a lot of uh, sort of, you know, alternative, shall we say, infrastructure spending. Um, Moving on to your second question, does the infrastructure bill just help infrastructure funds or help anyone else? Uh, I think uh, that uh, it does help other fund groups. Um, While there's a fair amount of the old bricks and mortar, bridges and highways uh, elements to it, um, more than any of its predecessors, it talks about uh, laying the foundations for uh, alternative energy grids, charging stations for electric vehicles, for instance, and extending uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts uh, of the online process uh, into areas that the private sector probably isn't going to be particularly keen to build the necessary infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, indeed, we did uh, see solid inflows into, as I already mentioned, technology sector funds, but telecoms and utility sector funds also had good weeks. And um, though we could have a lengthy argument as to how much of that was due to the infrastructure bill and expectations it'll be passed, uh, there's no doubt that it helped. Great. Kirsten, thanks for joining us. Cam uh, and Kirsten, have a great week. Thank we you. will. You, you too. too. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast.